today's episode, we are doing something a little bit different here. I have paired up with Jackie Lentz of the Jackie Just Chatters podcast, and we are doing a two-part story share. We asked listeners, friends on social media to tell us about a book that has impacted their life, a book that hit them so hard that it made a difference in their world. And we got some wonderful submissions. And we are here today to read these stories to you, as well as talk a bit about them and how they moved us with their story shares. Welcome to the show, Jackie. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. This is so much fun. We uh, always have a great time and I'm looking for more Rebels. Yes, I knew actually I should have said that is Jackie is also been on the show. We, every time we get on the phone, we talk for way too long. And Jackie is my <laughs> only guest who has a two-part episode on the show because that is how long we chatted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't don't get us started, folks. We'll be here all day. We can do it. Yes. Well, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your show? So I am Jackie Lentz, and I have a podcast called Jackie Just Chatters. As the name implies, it's a little casual. And basically, it is a storytelling podcast. I feel everyone has at least one good story to tell, and we've usually got more than one. So on the episodes, you can often find me hanging out with a guest, doing an interview, um, hearing their story that way. Sometimes it's my story. I've got some wonderful kitchen failure stories. And other times it's like today, other people have written in their stories and I share them that way. So it's just, if you like stories, check it out. And I loved how you described it. I just listened to her Valentine's Day episode the other day and you described it as whimsical. And I think that is so true. That just really is the cherry on top of your show. You're so sweet. Yeah, whimsical was like my polite way of trying to say it's always changing. It's chaotic. <laughs> like <laughs> reality is chaos. But the nice word, the the romantic word was whimsical. Yeah, I think it's perfect. I think we it's nice to have a variety of topics it, that people can is. come here. I get bored too easily. So when I was like coming up with my, I'm like, I, I'm a natural born storyteller. And when I taught high school social studies for like almost 20 years, that's what I did every day is like, I told stories about other countries or history or government stuff, whatever. It's like, because I understand people learn through stories. Yeah. And so that's, that's what I did. And um, I'm doing it now just a, a little bit differently though. Sometimes it still feels the exact same. <laughs> I've had a few former students who will listen to the podcast and they're like, oh my gosh, it was like being back in your class. Oh, that's <laughs> like, so fun. I want you as a teacher. I feel like I would have learned so much more history in your class. <laughs> you would have learned some bizarre things. That's for sure. I was always on the lookout for like bold, interesting tales to tell students because then it helps them pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> You got to draw them in somehow. That's right. And today we're going to draw people in with these amazing stories, which I didn't have to create. <laughs> so yes. that's nice. Well, and I think I mentioned that in the intro is I 
got so much out of these story shares from others as well. And I feel like they've made me think differently or changed my perspective. So I'm very excited to share them today. Yes. Yes. Hearing their responses, it definitely gave a lot of food for thought and they've just, and and I've added more to my TBR. Like it needs another stinking book. It doesn't (laughs) just doesn't. Listeners, you can go tune in to Jackie to hear how long my TBR list is. <laughs> so it it the uh, number is revealed on Jackie's. Jackie just chatters. Go check it out. <laughs> in this first story, we are going to hear from Sue Pritchard. Sue has over 30 years experience as a trade journalist in the international water power industry, although she never had the confidence to fulfill her childhood dream of becoming an author. However, Sue is now working towards publication of her first book that takes an honest, amusing, and open-minded look at life. It shows how, as ordinary people, we all have extraordinary stories to share. Feel the fear and do it anyway is a mantra I've adopted for most of my adult life. I repeated it under my breath when, as a bit of an aquaphobic, I had a titanic moment while standing apprehensively on the deck of a boat trying to pluck up the courage to join my family who were swimming merrily in the sparkling blue sea below. And then on another occasion, I really didn't think I could do it, as I sat with my bum perched on what looked like a hairdryer, clinging on tight with my eyes squeezed shut, when launching, or more like limping, into the sky on my maiden flight on a microlight. Fortunately, I embraced that fear pretty early on, because as soon as I opened my eyes, I forgot everything else apart from the breathtaking bird's-eye view of my home county. Although I bet the pilot wished he could forget the sound of my screams and squeals that border between terror and delight throughout the whole 30-minute flight. Feel the fear and do it anyway wasn't just any old mantra that I'd plucked out of thin air. It was also the title of Susan Jeffers' book that changed my life. I first read it back in 1993 when I was in the final year of university and, as everyone predicted, was having the time of my life. I was a model student, worked hard and played hard, down in pints with the lads as we propped up the student union bar most nights. Without the fortification of Australia's finest nectar brew though, I was very shy and tying myself up in knots that I'd just met this lovely young man whom I really liked, but wasn't sure whether he liked me. And this is where Susan Jeffers' book changed the direction of my life. I still have that original dog-eared copy with numerous passages highlighted throughout because I, along with the other 15 million people or so who've read copies of this book over the years, lapped up Susan's inspiring words. Full of practical advice and techniques, this personal development book urges you to turn indecision into positive action. I can vividly remember sitting on my bedroom floor with the book open in one hand and the telephone in the other. Shall I? Shan't I? What if he answers? What if he doesn't? The multitude of worst-case scenarios were running through my mind as I picked up then quickly replaced the phone over and over again. Come on, get a grip, I berated myself as I slowly dialed the phone number. What have you got to lose? Fearful if you do, fearful if you don't. Ring, 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 ring. Oh my God. Feel the fear, remember. Feel the fear and do it anyway soon. Hello? Oh, hello, Andy. I probably squeaked down the phone, trying my best to sound calm and casual as if we spoke to one another every day. How are you? Um, yeah, um, just wondered if you fancy meeting up sometime. 
And that was the day in 1993 when Susan Jeffers' empowering words gave me the confidence to strike up a friendship with this rather nice young man who has now been the love of my life for over 30 years. I felt the fear and I did it anyway. And although Susan died back in 2012, I'd still like to thank her because her book does what it says on the cover. It turns fear and indecision into action and love. I love the quote, feel the fear and do it anyway. To me, that's like the definition of bravery. Because, you know, I don't think people always understand. They, they look at someone who's brave and they're like, oh, they do that. If somebody does something with ease because they're trained or they've done it a million times, that's not stinking bravery. That's that's just learned behavior. Bravery to me is when you are absolutely afraid. You're you're trembling, but you make yourself do it anyway. That is bravery. And I think there are so many acts of bravery that happen every day in little ways of people's lives that nobody knows, nobody understands. And it's just like all these little tiny miracles are happening. And I feel like so many more people need to have like little bravery medals of, you know, I did this achievement today or like for me, I suffer with medical anxiety and it I've, I've had some traumatic issues with medical stuff in the past and even to make a call to a doctor's office, my heart is going to race. Like it freaks me out. Yeah. Going there is difficult. And it's kind of funny, um, especially because like my doctor knows with my blood pressure, they'll always take it at the beginning. But I tell them like, guys, you're going to have to take it again. Yeah. Because unless I've been really doing my meditative breathing and all the other things to help my blood pressure will spike so high just from being there. Yeah. But then by the time I'm done with talking to, and I've, I've, I've calmed down at the end, they'll take it. And they're like, wow, that really dropped down. Cause I've had them. They're like, Oh my God, you should go to the hospital. And I'm like, seriously, give me 15 minutes. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, that's a lot lower. I'm like, yep. I know myself. Yeah. It's terror. Like I can get worked up. I, I feel like there is a tiger breathing on my neck and, but, and I'm always just like, you you did good today. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) You were so brave. (laughs) You got it. You did the thing. Yeah. That's a beautiful point of bravery is subjective. We are all coming from different lives, different experiences, different happenings in our life that have, you know, and so that's going to look different for everybody. And I love that you took that out of the story because I did not what (laughs) I thought, but, but along the same lines. And that's why I think this can go together is I wrote down, you know, that one line about how this became her mantra of that is how powerful books can be. Yes. And that again is also kind of hinges on this bravery of but that's going to be subjective for everybody you know people will tell me they're not readers and i'm like you just haven't found the right book for you because again we're coming at it from our own life from our own experiences and that's how we're showing up today and so bravery books that hit us these books that impact that's all going to be subjective to who you are 
I agree with you. I think everybody is a reader. It's they just have not found the right source material for them or the right medium. Yeah. That, you know, I've known people who, you know, they they have reading disabilities. They struggle. Yeah. And then they get into audiobooks and all of a sudden this world is open to them because they have difficulty with that visual reading for information. Their brain has adapted and they're amazing listeners. They can absorb through listening like crazy. And that for them, audiobooks are the absolute best way to read a book. And, you know, if people haven't experimented with these different things, yeah, they just, and then they're like, oh, you know, it's not, it's not for me. Yeah. And it's, it's bull. It all can be for you. It's just about finding that way in. Yeah. I also thought she had a really, another great little mantra part of this about, you know, this is a personal development book, which for a lot of people, this is not their style of reading, but the fact that it urges you to turn indecision into positive action. And I think so often I am, I always tell myself, I'm not a decisive person. But what if you looked at that from a different lens, just like you're saying, look at being brave at a different lens, stand up to it and make it a positive action, positive action. Yep, absolutely. One of the things I liked about the book is that, you know, first part, the feel the fear. And this is one of those things like in therapy they talk about is recognize your emotion. Mm -hmm. Do not try to push it aside. You need to let it be valid. Like, okay, you feel this, whatever it is, like you have this feeling. And fear, it's not a comfortable feeling. We don't like it. Nobody enjoys it. And our first reaction is to push it away, you know, ignore it, whatever. And her, she's like, no, 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 feel it, embrace it. Like, hey, you have this, it makes you uncomfortable and that's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And I think that is a really important message because I don't think we hear that enough. I think there's too much there's almost like that toxic positivity. Like you have to be up all the time. Well, sometimes you're not and it's okay to not be perfect. And then her other point is, but that doesn't mean you have to let it stop you. Yeah. You can have this negative emotion, this fear, and it sucks and it's dragging you down, but you don't have to let it get the best of you. It's okay to recognize it's there and then do what you can to push through it. Yeah. And every time you push through a fear, it's it's like with my, my medical stuff. I mean, that's how I do it. It's that, you know, you make that call and you're like, okay, whew, I did mm -hmm. that. That was awesome. I, I could achieve something. And then next okay, I can, I can get to this appointment. I can drive myself there. I can, you know, every little step you recognize it and you're like, okay, this sucks, but we're going to get through this. And every time you do it, it gets a little easier the next time. 
because you're like, hey, you know, how many how many doctor visits have you been to? And you didn't die in any of them. And, you know, <laughs> you, you weren't in tremendous pain. You got through them. You'll get through the next one. It's and yeah. and I liked that message of fear's normal and it's okay to be afraid, but you don't have to be a slave to it. Yeah. Agreed. And I think, you know, again, like that small step forward each time you do it is the confidence building part of it too. So are you afraid of anything? I don't like public speaking. It really, and like, admittedly, I laugh about this often that I'm a podcast host behind a microphone, but because I don't have an audience, it's very comfortable to me. Um, that is one of my goals for 2024, actually. People. Well, yeah, you'll be thinking of this book a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Might need to pick it up for that, you know, <laughs> class I'm going to take. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, right. I find it funny that you have trouble with public speaking because you're so easygoing and friendly and, and kind and you connect with people. But I get it. Like I see it all the time of people would just, I mean, they'd rather have the ground open up and swallow them whole than to talk in front of a group. Yeah. I think part of it too, is I, my experience in public speaking has been in school. And so it was probably topics I researched, maybe I wasn't passionate about them. And so I wonder if I was stood up to talk about things I was passionate about, if it would be a little easier to be determined. I'll let you know. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's just building up that callus, building up that habit. Yeah. Like for me, you know, I had an audience of 35 kids per hour. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I had an audience of like, I don't know, what was it? 170 a day or something like that. Yeah. So, eh, okay. Public speaking, whatever. Yeah. And people are like, oh my God, you're so brave. And I'm like, no, absolutely not brave. That is simple and easy for me. Yeah, you know, because you did it a lot. Calling for my mammogram. Now that that's brave. Yeah, I love, and that's again subjective to us both. Yep. Yeah. And ladies out there, if you've been putting off making that call about your mammogram, get it done. A little self care there for you. In this next story, you are going to hear me read Shirley Hayes' story. Shirley is an emerging author from the flatlands of the Canadian prairies. Her writing is informed by a background in psychology and family support, including neurodiverse children and those with mental health concerns. She writes stories about survival and strength and love, always aiming to honor women, children, and families of all kinds and at all stages. Shirley is currently seeking a publication home for her debut novel, Fault Lines. A Women's Life by Shirley Hay. It's unusual for a book with no plot to change a life, but it changed mine. A few years ago, I attended a writer's retreat with a group of both established and emerging writers. Naturally, as we got to know one another, we began to share not only what we wrote, but also what we read and a little bit about our favorite authors. When I mentioned The Stone Diaries by Carol Shields, most people hadn't heard of it, but one woman in my small group had even read it. That's the book where nothing happens, she said a little more bluntly than I was prepared for. She wasn't exactly wrong, but on the other hand, she was. In many ways, everything happens in this novel. 
I first discovered the Stone Diaries in my university library in 1993, after it had just won the Governor General Award here in Canada. It later won the Pulitzer, too. I remember standing in the dim lighting about halfway down the tall row of books, pulling it off the shelf and flipping it open to read the first few words. I could have moved to one of the bright orange chairs at the end of the aisle, but instead I just stood there for a good 10 minutes, completely immobilized and instantly immersed in the story of Daisy Goodwill. What happens to Daisy? Well, life does. It's as simple as that. Daisy comes into the world on a kitchen floor in 1905, the same time her mother leaves it. The novel is set in a number of places and is written as an autobiography of sorts. It follows Daisy through 10 chapters of life, starting with birth and ending fittingly with death. In between are the chapters of a life we might expect. Childhood, marriage, motherhood, work. But there are also chapters that round out our time on this earth, like love, sorrow, ease, and in Daisy's case, her ultimate illness and decline. With a superficial glance at Daisy's life, it might be seen as quite ordinary, especially for her time. But like most people, her life is speckled with the extraordinary. For me, that is precisely what makes this book so compelling. Yes, her first husband is a drunk who falls to his death from the hotel window on their honeymoon. And yes, she is later a domesticated wife and mother who folds pillowcases at the kitchen table. While her son asks questions about the wars and wonders if his parents will have more babies. My own grandmother, Ruby, was born only five years earlier in 1900. I don't know the details of her birth or much about her life at all. But I do know that when she died in 1986, the pearl ring my mother brought home and later passed on to my sister was offered to another woman as an engagement ring by my grandfather. Somehow, my mother knew the story. Did my grandmother share it, or was it my grandfather? Were emotions high, or was it just a little tidbit of their past that they laughed about around the kitchen table? I also know that Ruby lost a child at age seven from a ruptured appendix. They homesteaded on farmland in northern Saskatchewan, and they simply waited too long to make the journey to a hospital. Other than an overabundance of caution whenever any of us had a stomach cramp, my mother didn't talk much about that time. But once, I remember her saying quietly that my grandmother was never the same after that. I thought I understood what she meant back then, but now, as a parent, these words reach a vastly different part of me. Of course Ruby wasn't the same. How could she be? To dive further into a place of unimaginable truths, a few years after the ruptured appendix, Another of my uncles was killed in a car accident in his early 20s. I will never know exactly what Ruby felt or thought in those years. Such buckling grief complicated by so many mouths to feed, all through years of war and poverty and doing without. I will never know the conversations she had with her young children as they asked after their brothers, or with my grandfather in the opaque moments before sleep. How many years did it take Ruby to settle into still and peaceful sleep? no longer dreading the dreams that would take her to places of what if and if only. Did those years of ease ever come? Or was some part of her always riddled with questions and guilt and unresolved sorrow, making her into the person my mother struggled to recognize? And just as importantly, did anyone ever ask her? So few stories of ordinary women are truly told. Ruby, like Daisy, was an ordinary woman. 
On the surface, she was just a farm wife and mother in rural Saskatchewan. She was uneducated and poor. She didn't do anything spectacular, and neither did any of her children. Many would see her life as much too simple, much too forgettable to really matter. Women have been depicted as many things in literature, romantic pursuits and victims and rebels and go-getters, just to name a few. But so rarely do we lift up and examine the truth of regular women. The term regular, of course, has no real meaning here, because when you look closely enough, there is no such thing as a regular life. There is only the extraordinary that has been simply unobserved. So is the Stone Diaries plotless? Perhaps. Does anything actually happen in the story? Well, yes, Daisy's life happens. And what's more important than that? Growing up in a tiny town in rural Manitoba, it was easy to dismiss the value of the women in my life. They were mostly housewives or clerks or bank tellers. They were the invisible kitchen workers at funerals or the cleanup crew after someone's silver anniversary party. I was watching shows like Who's the Boss, where Angela owned her own advertising agency, or Family Ties, where Elise was an architect, strong, powerful women who were deemed important. As far as I was concerned, the real women around me didn't have stories, at least none worth telling. But as a 19-year-old standing in my university library, something shifted. Not only could I see Daisy's life from her own telling, I could feel her, sense her, claim her. Daisy was born almost 70 years before me, but still, she reached me with an immediacy that I couldn't ignore. The world continues to tell me that regular women who live ordinary lives are not worth noticing. Their tasks are mundane and tedious, so their experiences and thoughts and feelings must be too. Like my mother and grandmother, I too am an ordinary woman. My life is overflowing with commonplace responsibilities like driving kids to activities and cleaning toilets and filling squares on the kitchen calendar, in addition to my paid work. Just like the women in my family before me, my life is not spectacular, yet I can see the truth of my existence differently because of the Stone Diaries and all the books like it. I can see the complexity and nuance of the female experience at every stage in life. I can question it and celebrate it and hold space for it, both for myself and for others. Thank you, Carol Shields, for saying this truth so many years ago and for bringing us Daisy Goodwill Flett. She will live with me forever. This one spoke to me just like Mrs. Miniver. I had not heard of the Stone Diaries. And I'm like, it's a Pulitzer Prize winner. Admittedly, I don't read the award book list, but you know, it's from the 90s. And so, but I was like, I haven't even heard of this title. Neither did I. Yeah. And I thought the same thing you did. I'm like, this is this big book. How is this not on my radar anywhere? But it, yeah, I, I'm interested in it now. Yeah. Absolutely. Me too. I loved what she talked about how, you know, admittedly, this book was so. S- so simple on the outset, even having that classmate comment on it. But I think it is such a reflection of our life. She has that part about the chapters of this book kind of round out her time on earth, right? And that the chapters in the middle were love, sorrow, ease. And in her case from the story, from Daisy's case was illness and decline. And I think this is so true about our lives. We might be seen as simple and ordinary, but 
if we go through grief, if we go through love, these are huge chapters in our personal story. And I think that that can reflect in all of us. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, if you had access to an average person's letter exchange, you know, from like years ago, and you know, they're going to just talk about like normal things, but oh my gosh, I'm like, heck yeah, I would read that. I'd read a whole book of those just to that peek inside people's lives and, you know, the, the extraordinary in the ordinary. Yeah. And I think we haven't talked about how both of these have, you know, the simpleness of women's lives. And I think we can see that. It's not simple, but I think we can well, see that's, that. I'm laughing because yeah. I'm like, simple my butt. <laughs> we wouldn't have had anything but simple lives. Yeah. You know, but with that part. Oh, go ahead. It It's it's the stereotyping. It reminds yeah. me of like when we were talking about the, the poet stereotyping for the military story. It's there's this stereotyping of like domestic women and you know, what their, their lives are like. And it's, it's interesting. My dad, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom, but I don't think he really knew what the heck she really did, you know, cause he's out, he's doing his job. He's got, he's trying to do his track and I get that. But when my sister became a stay at home mom, and now he's a grandpa and he's got the time, you know, he's invested all of a sudden his eyes were just open to all these little mini dramas that played out every day with yeah. his grandchildren and his daughter. And I'm like, oh, he's finally understanding <laughs> the extraordinary and the ordinary. Yeah. I love that part about, you know, so rarely do we lift up and examine the truth of regular women. And I think it's exactly to your stereotype because we don't think we have anything to ask them about. And she has that question. And I underlined it like four times of most importantly, did anyone ever ask her? Did anyone ever ask her grandmother about her life? You know, she ties this into her grandmother and did anyone ever ask her about it? And I think that so often that's why, you know, she has that other line about things were just simply unobserved because no one bothered to ask. And that breaks my heart inside a little bit because I am a stay-at-home mom and myself, right? And to relate to that of, we all wanna be seen and understood. Right. You know, it's interesting, like the what you were saying, it reminded me, my mom got one of those um, those books, like a, like a memoir. And it this company sends you a prompt every week and you tell them about different memories and different oh, yeah. things. My and mom is doing this. I gave yes! it to her. Story yes. worth. Yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, my mom really enjoyed it. And we all have a copy of her story. And I'm like, you know, we're going to have these stories forever. And I think doing it, she helped recognize, you know, all of these interesting things in her life where her life, oh, yeah, it's kind of, boring. I'm like, no. You know, that's why I love doing a storytelling podcast and getting to know people because I'm like, oh, my God, there are amazing stories hidden in plain sight everywhere. I'm like, yes, we can hear the celebrities and all their stuff. And that's great. But there are a million amazing stories from average everyday people. And so that's 
I love that with this book that it, it gave that spotlight. Yeah. One of the things that really connected to me is when she talked about when she was younger and she was looking for idols outside of her, her hometown and, and that weren't domestic. And she was looking for these bigger, better role models. And I think in my own twenties, it was kind of the same way that I felt like, okay, I needed to achieve this big thing. I needed to leave my mark on the world. I needed to do, you know, this big imprint of make positive change and, and do something. And, you know, I look to these people and, and then you get to your thirties and you're like, oh, well now I'm just, I'm just living a life. I'm not really doing anything spectacular. And I, looking back now, I laugh. I'm like, by the time I was 30, I was a teacher. I was teaching kids. Yeah. Well, high schoolers, not really kids, but you know, I was teaching these students, the future generations, and I was still thinking I wasn't making an impact. Yeah. I mean, how blind do we get to the impacts we have? So if a woman as a teacher doesn't think she's making an impact enough, what is that going to say for stay-at-home moms? Yeah. You know, like they're going to, oh, I'm, making, I'm like, no, you're, you're creating a person. You're helping to develop this human that's going to go out into the world and you connect with other people and you leave imprints all over the place. We all do constantly. And we're just so unaware of it. One of my favorite quotes that's given me a lot of comfort as I've changed identities, right? From PT to stay at home mom and, you know, the, the identity shifts that we do within our lives but it's a Mother Teresa quote. And it's, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And for me, like that might seem small to the next person, but maybe my impact here on earth is my children. I mean, that's what's going to go on after me. And you know what? That's enough. And I have peace in my heart that that is enough. Well, and that's when your children feel loved, and they know what it's like to get love and give love, they're going to go out into the world and bring that positive energy with them. You know, somebody who feels unwanted by their parents or quite frankly, let me tell you that I had students, they knew they were unwanted. I mean, parents abandoned them like, well, you're old enough. You're, you're 16. I need to go have my life. And, and, and you did, you had these, these kids just trying to cope with all of that stuff. And so they're not only coping with having to be an adult and make all these adult decisions, take care of themselves at a young age. Um, but knowing that they were rejected and left behind by their own parent. I mean, wow. And what do we say on your show is we just want to be loved. We want to be seen, understood, and we want to be loved for who we are. Correct. And that what was taken away from them in that. You know, like anybody, you know, I had disagreements with my parents. We had issues and I, you know, I was a teenager. Oh, good gosh. Yeah. (laughs) 
those those are not easy years for either party <laughs> um but you know even in all it's like i never questioned the love i knew i was loved yeah. and that was there and it and it made a difference yeah unconditional so. love well i loved this story again another book added to my list <laughs> i know that's that's the one like i had no idea doing this project that it was gonna add so much to my tbr <laughs> yeah so thank you to all that submitted your stories to us and trusted us with your your words yes they are really moving yeah this is i love doing story shares they're a lot of fun and for those of you who are new um i actually have several story shares on my podcast so if you want to go check those out and hear other people amazing stories please go ahead and if you go there you will also happen to find an interview with somebody you do <laughs> the hostess of this podcast came and talked about her time in sicily on mine and we had so much fun it had to be two parts yes so you can go hear about my life over there <laughs> Absolutely. And it's a life worth hearing about. She has a very interesting life. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you, Jackie, for joining me on the show today as well. Thank you for having me. And this for getting me to do this project. I know. Yay. <laughs> I have a feeling it won't be our last. Yes, it was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today with Jackie Lentz of the Jackie Just Chatters podcast. Make sure you head over to Jackie Just Chatters to hear part A of this episode with two other amazing story shares. We'd like to thank Sue Pritchard and Shirley Hay for their time and their submissions and for trusting us with their words. Please head over to bookishflights.com to see a full list of where you can find Shirley and Sue, as well as the books we talked about today. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are reading next, especially if you have heard about it on the show, please tag us on Facebook or Instagram at bookishflights. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Your review not only helps the show, but it also helps the podcast to reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure you will not miss an episode. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.